G'day and welcome to Perco's Podcast, a podcast all about strategy, leadership and soul care. We're here to help you obtain your personal, professional and spiritual goals without losing your soul. We hope that today's episode is refreshing and gives you a new perspective. Now here's your host, Jason Perkins. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 21, part one of Perco's Podcast. I hope it is well with your soul today, wherever you are listening from around the world. Today's conversation actually reminds me of an experience I had for the very first time when I was in year nine of high school, or for those of you in other parts of the world that may call it ninth grade. I remember as a dual citizen, I grew up in Australia and I went to high school for a couple of years in the United States, in the state of Florida specifically. And I remember in year nine going to the States and I remember experiencing something one day in class where a loud bell was going off and everyone stood up and lined up at the door and filed out of the classroom out to the soccer field where they took our uh, role and made sure everyone in our class was in our lines and I discovered the experience was a fire drill. There wasn't actually a fire in our school but we were just practicing for a fire if there happened to be one in the future. And I remember thinking to myself how irrelevant that was at the time. But as I've gotten older, I've actually had to uh, experience a real fire drill, one that I actually set off one time when I was working at an office building in Colorado. I I accidentally overcooked a bagel in the toaster of the break room and um, it created a lot of smoke. There wasn't actually any fire, but created a lot of smoke and all the fire alarms went off and literally hundreds of people because we were sharing this office building with many other companies. Hundreds of people had to evacuate the building and stand outside. In Colorado in the middle of winter, which can be quite cold, I didn't admit to the fact that I was probably the one who set off the fire alarm, um, but we did let them know that we think it was just a bagel in a break room. But all of that aside, it reminded me of the fact that When it comes to fire drills and a number of lessons in life, there are things that oftentimes we do that we're taught, not because it's relevant in that moment, but because one day we may need it. And when we need it, we'll be so glad that we experienced it and that we were taught that particular tool or whatever it is that we've experienced. Today's conversation is a lot like the fire drill. You may not think you need it right now, but I I guarantee you one day you'll be glad that you learned this particular tool when it comes to caring for your soul. I'm super excited to introduce you to my good friend today who has been incredibly influential in my own personal journey towards soul care. Sean C was the facilitator of a monthly conference call that I was a part of for many years. Each month I looked forward to the calls that he would facilitate because I learned so much about life and leadership from him. He truly is a leader who intentionally cares for his soul and the souls of those around him, whilst at the same time reaching some significant goals along the way. Sean is the lead pastor of Athens Church in Athens, Georgia. Sean and his wife, Bonnie, met and were married during their college years. They have three amazing children, Boom, Bryson, and Lola. Sean is a pastor and a communicator but has a real passion for leading the church. As you'll hear in today's conversation, Sean's passion for leading well at work almost destroyed his life at home. 
In today's episode, Sean and I discuss a tool called a sabbatical that literally transformed his life and leadership. I know some of you may be thinking, sabbatical? What relevance does that have in my life today? I want you to remember the fire drill. You may not need it now, but you may one day, and you'll be glad you understand the tool when you need it. So without further ado, here is part one of my conversation with my good friend, Sean C. Well, Sean C., so good to see you, mate. Thank you so much for being on Perco's podcast. It is great to connect with you, my friend. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing well. It's a, it's a joy to see you. I miss you. Uh, so excited about this uh, adventure God has you on right now. And it's just, uh, yeah, a real privilege to catch up. I hope the people that are watching and listening to this can understand my Southern accent. But yeah, man, it's a, it's a privilege to be here. I was going to say something about the accent. I have to admit, this is uh, as, as strange, I'm sure, as the Australian accent is for people in the Northern Hemisphere that listen to this. I am sure it is just as strange to listen to the good old Southern accent from a Georgia boy um, who, by the way, is probably uh, mourning another lost opportunity at a national championship. I hate to bring it up, man, but how is, how is no, this- Georgia doing during this time? No, you, you, it's actually the other way around. This is the best time of year every year as a Georgia fan because right now we've just forgotten about the season and we are so confident that next year is our year <laughs> that we are undefeated right now. We won the bowl game. We are, we are destined for greatness next year. So yeah. talk to me in like October, November when our dreams have been dashed. That's a whole other deal. But yes. as of right now, it's, it's optimism tank is high. Yeah, I love the fact that for you guys leading a church in Athens, Georgia – there are probably a few Sundays where you can get up and say, Hey, you need church today because of what happened yesterday. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. You can see it all over. It, it affects our whole city, man. It's a, it's a big deal. Um, you know, this year was obviously um, very weird. 2020. We only had three home games, which we normally have like six. Yeah. And it's actually a really big part of people's businesses and all that. That's, that's a whole nother story, but yeah, it's, Georgia football is a, a big deal around here. Uh, yeah. We, it's a, it's a, you, you literally just, you know, our local sports talk radio talks about football every day of the year, every day of the year, they talk college football and they have content to just keep going. So yeah. Yeah. it's a crazy world in which we live. Yeah. Cause you guys would be all in the midst of, I'm assuming a recruiting a, a new class and all that oh, kind yeah. of thing right now. And hopes are high because you got this guy that you think you're going to get and, and all that good stuff. Oh yeah. So yeah. I'll get in the, so a fascinating thing now is early enrollees. Uh-huh. So uh, kids graduate high school early. So they checked in yesterday okay. and to their dorms and they're starting college this week. So yeah, man, we got all the new four-star, five-star guys and yeah. we're undefeated. We're going to win the world. That's yep. it. That's it. Well, listen, man, we start every podcast with a fun little segment called 60 Seconds with Perko. I'm going to ask you 10 either or questions. I don't want you to think about it. I just want you to go with your first response, but we're going to start off with, with uh, this one, coffee or tea. Oh, coffee for sure, man. I'm drinking coffee as we talk. Yeah. As we speak. Yeah. Apple or PC. Oh man. PC is essentially the same thing as non-Christian. So (laughs) Apple for sure for me. Yeah. Okay. Beaches or mountains. Um, you know what, man, I'm probably going to say mountains. I, I love the ocean, but, uh, uh, yeah, I like, I'm a mountains guy. I think. All right. And then dogs or cats. Oh man. Gosh, I could talk for hours about this. Cause I just got suckered into my first family pet okay. of a dog. 
um, which I'm regretting that decision already, but um, at least it's not a cat. So yes, dogs okay. over cats. Hey, what kind of dog did you guys get? I'm just wondering. We got one of these like fake dogs. That's like a mixture of three things and you can yes. fit it in your purse and all this. It's not even, I, it doesn't even deserve the title of a dog, you know? It's just like a, a fake animal. I don't know, yeah. bred somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. We just got, we just got a puppy as well. Um, he is four months old. We've had smaller dogs. My wife and I, since we were married, we've had miniature schnauzers. Um, we've had okay. two, two of them in the 20 years that we've been married. We decided to go for a larger dog this time. And we, um, <clears throat> we got an Airedale Terrier, which is the largest of the Terrier breed. And it is oh, a, wow. It is a big unit, and I I know why <laughs> I know why there are big dogs and small dog people now. I have learned why there is a difference between the two. So yeah. Oh, that's so, so funny. That's it's awesome. like having a toddler all over again. It's super fun. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I can all right. Next question: Net, uh, Netflix or YouTube? Um, man, probably Netflix. Okay. Yeah, I. I I get lost on, on YouTube, but I can't ever decide when I'm watching Netflix, what to watch. I just scroll forever and I can't ever decide to land on anything. Yeah, I, I feel your pain. I do the same thing. Hey, call or text. Oh, text all day long. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about, I'm a, my, my mentor, John Woodall says uh, that uh, he communicates in bullets. Uh -huh. And so, yeah, I'm a bu bullet form communicator. Text is a beautiful thing. Text is the perfect platform for that. All right. Podcast or music. Um, man, I listen to a lot of podcasts too. I listen to the Perco podcast all the time. That's all my number one go-to, by the of way. Of course you do. Yeah. Is, uh, but I'm a, but I'm a big, big music guy. I have no musical abilities ever. Um, but, uh, but I listen to uh, music in the large majority of my day. So music. Okay. Yeah. Music passenger or driver. Oh, always drive. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't want you driving me anywhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm driving for sure. Good job. Yeah. Sure. All right. Way Same. too much of a control freak for that. Yeah. Especially it'll be especially fun when we bring you out to Australia and you have to figure out how to drive on, on the other side of the road and the other side of the car all at the same time. That'll be interesting. For you. Yeah. <laughs> I hey, can't wait, man. I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. Saver or spender? I'm probably a saver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Probably so. Yeah. Is, how, is Bonnie, a, is she a spender or? Yeah, she's more of a spender than I am, but um, she's honestly one of Bonnie's greatest strengths. Is she's a deal finder, and okay. so she will celebrate the heck out of a deal. So anytime you know she gets something that should have been twenty dollars and she got it for seven fifty, she is yeah. overjoyed. Yeah, so, yeah. And does she let everyone know the deal of the day? So oh. oh yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, I love that shirt. You wouldn't believe it. I got it for $3 the other day at a thrift shop, you know, or whatever. I love so it. yeah, she's, she's fired up. But I will say this, if you ever have a garage sale, if she ever has a garage sale, go to it. Cause she'll sell you everything she owns for a quarter. Yeah. doesn't matter what it is. You can like talk her down to a quarter and she's like, just take it. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted yeah. to go to a great home. So you just take it. You seem like a nice. That's person. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She's never going to make any money, but she's very sweet. Yeah. All right. This is the most important question of all time. Toilet paper. Right. Is it over or under for you? Yeah, it's hard to imagine. That's really even a question. I mean, everyone knows toilet paper goes over. I mean, that's how yes. toilet paper was yes. designed. And yes. So I don't, I don't understand the character character defects that lead people in the other directions. So. I'm so glad you said that. It means I can come to your place and, and use the restroom in peace. And I don't have to fix Come it. Come on, man. Yeah. 
any anytime, anytime. We'd love to have you. All right. So last of this kind of uh, introductory uh, round of questions. We are huge fans, and I would say I am growing to become an even bigger fan of this tool called the Enneagram. And, and I got to be honest, the first time I was introduced to it by one of the staff members on a church that I was leading in Colorado at the time, I was actually frustrated by it because I oftentimes refer to it as it is not a test to be taken, but it is a tool to journey with. And my okay. impatience, my impatience just wants to take a test, get the result and go, okay, now I know this thing took me a while to figure out. And so I'm sure that says a lot about my Enneagram type um, because I was frustrated <laughs> by how long it took. But what's your Enneagram type number and, and give us a little bit of understanding of how you came to discover it. Well, I, the beauty of my Enneagram number is you don't have to take the test, okay. which is so good because... <laughs> I am an Enneagram 8, and I say this regularly, the way you know you're an Enneagram 8 is people accuse you of being an Enneagram 8. <laughs> and so when you start talking Enneagram and people immediately point to you and go, oh, you're an 8, you're an eight. that's what <laughs> yeah. you are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, uh, I've been called many names uh, that have an 8 involved in them. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I felt like I felt like I have a lot of one tendencies in me as well, kind of perfectionistic, controlling kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but definitely, I think the uh, the eight. I've I've come to the place where I just own it at this point. Yeah. And now try to figure out how to be the most healthy version of an eight that I could be, which definitely be part of our conversation today. But uh, but yeah, man, I've I've enjoyed um, Enneagram. I'm married to Bonnie as a two. Okay. I have a son who's a four. I have another son who's a one and I have a daughter who is also an eight. So she okay. and I are like fireworks together. We're, yeah. we're a lot of fun. Yeah. So fun. Well, it's been such a, a helpful tool for me and it really goes to what you were talking about, Sean, about once I've, I landed the plane on what I feel like I'm typed as it's been helpful as kind of a spiritual formation and a growth tool to say, Hey, this is what it is. But how can I be the healthiest version of that that I possibly can be? I think that's so important. Hey, today, Sean, I, I'm super stoked to talk about this idea, this concept of sabbatical, which you really opened my eyes to. I had heard of it before, but I'd never really talked to somebody who had experienced a sabbatical that was so transformative and so life-changing. And so I became a, a bit of a student of it. And then I, I still recall a conference call that you and I were on with a mutual friend of ours, uh, James, and he had just completed his sabbatical and he was giving, he was downloading for a group of us um, that you were mentoring and he just shared the whole experience. I remember being in tears, Sean, on that call, mm -hmm. thinking to myself, what a gift. I remember repeating mm -hmm. that over and over in my mind. What a gift that this guy has just been given and his family. And, and so anyway, I can't wait to dive into this topic of sabbatical. I'm super stoked about doing that. But before we dive into the topic, I, I know this is hard to believe, but most people in the Northern Hemisphere are very familiar with who Sean C is. Most people I bump into on the street. However, in the Southern Hemisphere, slightly less known. So would you do me a favor? Could you just kind of give us a little bit of backstory on who you are, how we, you know, we connected through the North Point network of churches and you actually started working for North Point but even before North Point you were connected with it before it got started so just give us a little background on who Sean C is and what he's up to these days in Athens Georgia 
Yeah, man. First of all, I just want to say, um, I have just a ton of respect for you and love for you and appreciate you inviting me into this conversation and really value your friendship. And I'm just thankful for how the Lord led our path together. But yeah, I'm 50 years old. I've been married for a little over 28 years. Uh, we have two sons that are 20 and 18, a daughter who is 11. And um, yeah, I, I've been in the South of uh, the United States pretty much my whole life. Um, I come from a home where my parents were divorced at a really young age or grew up in a real broken home did not grow up with Jesus as a, a major part of my life. I really met Christ in college and um, I was attending college. God had really started changing my life. And a friend told me I should go to Atlanta and visit this. I was about an hour and a half away. I should go visit this church one Sunday. It was in a warehouse and it was Charles Stanley's church, First Baptist Church of Atlanta, but they had a, a North campus and his son, Andy was teaching there. This wow. is 19, 93. Unbelievable. And uh, I went and it was just unlike anything I'd ever experienced. You know, it was the very early days of, you know, think uh, Willow Creek and Saddleback and all those yeah. things in, in yeah. the early days of um, starting to think about church in a little bit different way. And I just fell in love with it. So I ended up joining a little mentoring group that Andy did. Um, I did an internship there at First Baptist. Um, I eventually graduated college. My wife and I went on staff at First Baptist, yeah. where Andy was on staff at the time. And um, after being there about a year, Andy actually left the staff. He tells that story in Deep and Wide, yeah, the book. Um, some of this, some of this, if people have read the book Deep and Wide, would be familiar with the First, pa First Baptist North, ex you know, experiment, as as some people right. refer to it. And even when you were on staff at First Baptist, Sean. I know you you worked with a ton of people that maybe Andy recruited to go and, and launch North Point. So you've you've been around I, this crew for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. All those guys, the original six people were all on staff at First Baptist Atlanta and had the privilege of working with all those guys. But I was essentially a glorified intern. I worked in the evangelism ministry. I did that for a year. Then Andy left the staff and kind of the dominoes began to fall, which eventually led to the creation of North Point again, like he tells that story there. Uh, if you haven't read Deep and Wide, it's a great book. Yeah. Um, but then we headed off to Dallas, Texas. I uh, went to Dallas Theological Seminary. I was there in the late 90s, 95 to 99. I took church planting classes while I was out there. I got a master's in theology. Just had a wonderful time at Dallas. Um, but we weren't sure what we were going to do, so we... Um, came back to Atlanta and started working at North Point. And North Point at that time was a single campus, single auditorium. You know, the building was a, a quarter of the size that it is now in Alpharetta. Yeah. And, and just such an awesome opportunity for me. This is the way I kind of describe my story. At Dallas Seminary, I learned to fall in love with God's word and how yeah. to, um, you know, handle God's word. And then I spent five years at North Point from 99 to 04. And that's where I fell in love with creating a church that unchurched people love to attend. And I just thought, man, any way that I could be a part of this. And so this idea of video communication started developing in those days. Yeah. And uh, somebody said, hey, I'm going to go. Troy Fountain said this. I'm going to go to uh, Dothan, Alabama, and I'm going to start a church. And I'm just going to show videos of Andy as the, the communicator. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know if that's is that legal. Are you allowed to do that? Um, <laughs> And Has so my wife, that? Yeah. I know. Yeah, no doubt. My wife and I and our then two and four year old boys uh, said, all right, man, if we can do that, we're going to do it. So we moved to Athens, Georgia, and we have been here now um, 16 years. And honestly,
and um, love what we're getting to be a part of. And so, um, so yeah, man, it's just, it's been a, been a real privilege. I love that, Sean. Hey, this is kind of off script, but I, I really would love to know those early days when you were first getting started at North Point in those first five years, and they were creating a church that unchurched people would love to love to attend. What are some of the unique things that you saw being done in those first years that you'd never seen done before in church world that would just kind of blow people's you know, mind sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, back then, again, we were coming out of, we were in the South, we're coming out of a very traditional church model. So several things, number one, church was a very high activity thing back then. So, you know, multiple times a week, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they really simplified that model. And they were like, Hey, we, we want you here on Sunday mornings. And then we want you in a small group. And that, that was super helpful. I think the other thing is they just started thinking from a creative lens on, Hey, we're going to be here for an hour or so together. What are some creative ways we can make this engaging and memorable for yeah. people? I mean, that, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone talk about relevant environments. Yes. Uh, you know, Andy defined that as um, appealing context, helpful content, and engaging presentations. Yeah. You know, I've never heard of that idea before. But then the other thing they did, which was life-changing for me, which I know you guys have had a lot of experience with, but starting point was this small group environment where people could explore faith and experience community. You know, Alpha is obviously another great course that yes. allowed people to do similar things. Yeah. But that was huge is we were trying to intentionally create conversational opportunities for people that were asking faith questions. Um, so, you know, all those things were, were brand new. They, they reduced the uh, formality of church, obviously. So yep. it was the first time ever people thought, oh my goodness, I can show up here in, in jeans and tennis shoes or shorts and flip-flops or whatever. That yeah. was all a brand new idea. And, and then it was a very conversational approach to what was happening. And Andy's gifted communication made a big deal there. So yeah. all those were big factors early on for me. Yeah. A lot of the things that we, I would say, kind of take for granted now that we just, you know, it's a part of our regular routine that church looks this way. But 20, 25, 30 years ago, church did not look that way for a lot of people. Well, listen, I want to no, no. jump into sabbatical. And um, for some people that are listening to this, this show, they may be wondering what the heck a sabbatical even is. That term, for some people, they'll probably know exactly what we're talking about. But I just want to give a quick definition for those that maybe the concept is new to. A sabbatical, as is defined in the dictionary, is a period of paid leave granted to a university teacher or other worker for study or travel. Traditionally, it's one year for every seven years work. Now, that's the kind of technical definition of it, um, which we'll dive into a little bit here in a second, because you're not a university teacher and you didn't use your sabbatical for travel or any sort of big research project. But the actual origins of a sabbatical come from this this uh, it's a Greek word, but the Hebrew word is, is Shabbat, Sabbath in Greek. And so sabbatical is this idea of rest and kind of an agrarian cultural concept where they would allow a field to rest for a year every seven years. They wouldn't plant or harvest on that field. They'd just give that field a break because they felt as though it would actually produce better crops and more fruitful harvest. Um, because of the rest that it was given. So if you're not familiar with the sabbatical, that's kind of some background on it. But we're going to learn 
from Sean, how he took the, the idea, the concept, and this, what I would even call a spiritual practice, and used it to, to strengthen the health of his soul. Before we get to that, though, Sean, you didn't have your sabbatical scheduled like a university professor or lecturer oftentimes does. You know, they, they start out, they get tenure at the university or whatever, and they're finally given that year off to go study abroad or to travel or to do some research project or something like that. Your sabbatical actually came out of a season of pain and quite frankly, crisis. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on, hey, what, what was it that led you to actually taking that sabbatical the first time you did? Yeah, I would just say, Pergo, uh, there are some people that are really wise and mature and godly, and they step into the healthy things they need. Others, God takes them kicking and screaming. And yeah. unfortunately, I fall into the latter category more than I would like. Yeah. And so this story is one of those indicators. You know, the way I reflect on my story is this. Bonnie and I had our two sons very close together. They're just 19 months apart. Yeah. And we were married for... Uh, eight years before we had any children, we were married very young. And so um, I think in the early years of our marriage, some of my brokenness and just lack of emotional health and some of my immaturity wasn't quite as obvious because honestly, the pressures of life had not gotten that great yet. Okay. But after having two children, then we eventually adopted our daughter until we had three kids. And then I became point leader of an organization and I'm trying to plan a church um, which anybody who's tried to start up any sort of organization knows the effort and energy and pressure that goes into that. And I would say uniquely, anybody that's listening to this that's in ministry, there is a unique kind of pressure for people in ministry because um, everything I do impacts my job, right? Yeah, I mean, all, yeah. all the, um, if, I, if I go to the, the ball field with my son and, and I'm a jerk to my son in public, well, that can have reflection and impact on my job. Whereas if I'm you know, a dentist or an accountant or something else that they may not really care. You may, um, you may lose a, f a few clients that might've been at the game that day. And they're like, I'm not going to get my teeth clean from that guy ever again, but you're not going yeah. to be kicked out of the practice or, Absolutely. or have the board of the practice call you in and say, Hey, we need you to go to a counselor and work on this anger issue you got going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And in the, in the cancel culture world we're in right now, right. It's so easy to just get shut down. I mean, it's everything. It's, I would think about it walking out of a grocery store, right? Am I, do I have any um, beverages here that anybody thinks are inappropriate or they think that I, I as a pastor shouldn't have? I mean, it affects you, you know, everywhere all the time. And so Absolutely. there's just a lot of pressure. So all that to say, during those years, as I stepped into ministry, the, the pressure just kept squeezing and squeezing in. And essentially what that does is that reveals what's there, right? It reveals what's inside. Yeah. And so for me, what it began to reveal was a, a lack of emotional health, lack of emotional maturity. And really one of the biggest issues for me, the way it was um, exemplifying itself was predominantly in my anger. But I would say going back to those years, um, I was too harsh, too direct, too angry, too controlling, too critical, uh, too opinionated. You know, honestly, going back to your Enneagram question, yeah. I mean, if you look at an Enneagram 8, everything yes. that an unhealthy Enneagram 8 is, was coming out of me. And, and the, the hard thing was, I knew on the inside, that's not who I wanted to be. I didn't want to be the dad who was screaming at my kids. Yes. I didn't want to be the dad that was micromanaging my wife. Uh, and ironically, 
I was, and this might be helpful for some of some of the listeners. I was better at this at work than I was at home. Yes. Uh, at work, I had learned that if you treat people like a jerk, they leave, right? <laughs> they don't want to work for you anymore. <laughs> yeah. They but unfortunately at home, sometimes they stick around or they stick it out, you know, or they're willing to tolerate some more of your brokenness than they should. So, mm-hmm. so that was kind of how the story was building for me. And I was having this uh, internal sense of frustration that I couldn't fix this and I couldn't change this. And I had, I had read the books and prayed and, and done all that I knew to do for me in on Labor Day weekend, which is sep- September for us in, in the U S yes. um, of 2012, we had a defining moment and the way I explain it is an explosion happened in our house and yeah. that explosion was me. Yeah. And I just had a really, really bad um, interaction with my wife and kids to a degree that everybody in the family was crying. Yeah. And I had been the reason for that. And it was that weekend that my wife um, just, you know, raised a, raised a flag and said, Hey, we've got to find a better way. So by the grace of God, I had a mentor in my life who she knew and was familiar yeah. with. I yeah. had two accountability partners in my life who yes. had been a part of my life for a really long time. She reached out to all three of them and just said, hey, we're stuck. We, we've got to have some help. Yeah. And within uh, a not too many months, um, all three of them were involved, as were the elders of our church. Yeah. And just trying to say, hey, what's going on with, with Sean? And you know, in a very, I think in a very loving and supportive way, what can we do to help? But I will just say this at the time for any of you maybe going through anything like this, it didn't feel loving and supportive. I felt very self-protective. I felt like everybody was coming against me. I mean, I felt like I spent about a year just defending myself all the time. And so anyway, that was a really, really hard period of time. But all that eventually led to an elder meeting that my mentor and accountability partners were a part of. And my mentor said to the elders, I wonder if we should give Sean the gift of some time. Wow. Uh, I wonder if we should give him some time away. And truthfully, Jason, I was scared to death by that. I mean, yeah. I did not know what that meant or what to do with it. Um, I was just, I was scared out of my mind. And so um, anyway, that that's kind of the process, if you will, that led to sabbatical for me. Hey, Sean, <clears throat> I would love to go back just a little bit in your story you talked about the unique pressures of being a point leader, and then you added, you added on top of that unique pressures of being a point leader in ministry or specifically yeah. in the church world. My yeah. own story is that I've had, by the grace of God, I'm super grateful for the experiences that he's allowed me to have. They're not because of any gifting of my own, but I've been able to have some leadership roles in the for-profit world. So marketing and sales, business development background, um, also in the not-for-profit world, but parachurch, not church ministry, but outside of that in camp and conference ministry with a great organization, Word of Life, which so formative for me. And I'm so grateful for my experience there. I have to say, before I became a lead pastor, I assumed because I had been in leadership roles in for-profit and even not-for-profit, but non-church related, that I kind of had an idea of what leadership pressure was and what that would look like. My goodness, after about 18 months in the lead pastor role, Sean, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I remember saying to Kristen, I don't want to get off the train yet. 
like two years of doing this, but I can't Mm -hmm. keep doing this the way I'm doing it. Like it is crushing me. Why do you think that is, Sean? I mean, you talked about this idea of living kind of in the fishbowl. You go to the grocery store, the way you check out, the way you speak to the person in the checkout could be seen as a, you know, a reflection of your, your spirituality and so on. Why do you think that, why do you think though, for the church leader, there's an added layer of pressure? Um, The first two thoughts that come to my mind are number one, very clearly, um, if you choose to get involved in the local church, you are in the center of a spiritual battle. Yes. And the scripture is very clear. There's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, who hates us, who hates God's people and hates the local church. And so I don't understand. There's a lot that I don't understand about spiritual warfare, but I absolutely believe that there's an enemy who hates us. And so I think that in and of itself intensifies the battle. But I think as well, somewhere along the way, and Andy has taught on this, I think in some of our theology, maybe around the temple model, I think we still have this uh, high priestly idea of those of us that accept the call and the ministry or choose to go into ministry. You know, it's interesting in uh, in 1 Timothy, when Paul talks about um, being an elder, he says, if anyone aspires to be an elder, Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about calling of God on your life, and that's a a neat thing, and everybody processes that in a different way. But he says, hey, if if you want to be a leader in the local church, that's a good thing and and a noble aspiration. But um, I think, you know, we have in our minds put this person, we've used the term on a pedestal, right? Yeah. Um, That this person is is high and holy, and and they just teach the lowly people who need help every week. Yeah. And I mean, just nothing could be further from the truth. I don't understand how we have allowed that model, but I think it's so destructive and it brings with it a sense of pressure. And it's like all of society has agreed to it, right? Yeah. We've all yeah. agreed that you're a man of a cloth or whatever. And so therefore you're no longer human. And, and so it requires you to act like someone that you're really not. Yeah. Um, and, and, and take on a persona of someone that you, you can't be yet. And so first Timothy obviously gives and Titus gives some, some very high qualifications, right? Which is why you shouldn't appoint someone as an elder too soon yep. and why, you know, you should uh, be careful when and how you go into this. But even so, I just think we've bought into a narrative that says um, that you need to be someone that, that you're not. And so I think that then creates this internal pressure to be fake and to be, you know, um, uh, duplicitous, right? I'm going to be somebody else behind closed doors that I'm not. Uh, in public. And um, so I don't know, I think there's a couple things kind of on. Yeah, no, for sure. The other thing that you you mentioned that I think is just so, so important, whether you're a point leader in ministry, or anybody for that matter, you had a circle of people that your wife could reach out to. And yeah. man, I just think I when you said that I thought to myself, man, whether you're managing a bank, or you, you know, you yeah. use the example of a dentist. Does your spouse have a group of people that she can reach out to, or they can reach out to, when times are tough, that they can be real, vulnerable, authentic, honest about where things are at, so that you don't have to go down a path of destruction and perhaps lose your marriage and your family and all those kinds of things. So, what do you, what are your thoughts around? Hey, I'm not in ministry. But how do you even build that type of thing? Because I think those of us that are in ministry, we oftentimes have an elder, we have a board of, or some sort of accountabilities, sure. and we have a couple of friends. What are some thoughts around building that team? 
Yeah, well, uh, I think um, people in ministry or, or, or not, um, I think authentic, real, rich relationships like that are very rare. I think they take a long time to develop. And uh, most people that I meet in ministry don't have them. And not because they don't want them. They just feel isolated. They feel like nobody really understands them. I, I would say, first of all, um, start small. Start with a person. Yeah. You know, and start by talking to God. God, I need this person in my life. And if it eventually becomes, you know, a few people, that's great. But you need, you know, a safe place, a person where you can say anything and be anything and you can let your guard down. Um, my experience with, you know, we, for us, uh, you may remember the Promise Keepers movement from yeah. the 90s. Yeah, I remember that's that. where this actually began for us. Um, and they talked a lot about accountability partners back then. So that's kind of how it all began for us. But I would just say, um, you know, um, one thing I've learned about accountability is I can't um, give accountability to you. You can just request it. Yes. And so I think where this begins for us as a leader is going to someone saying, look, this is the man or woman that I want to be. Will you help me? Will yeah. you help pray with me? Will you help encourage me? Will you help hold me accountable? Jeff Henderson, a great friend uh, of ours. Jeff talks about having a life board of directors. Yeah. He actually asked people to serve um, in a capacity like that. Um, I haven't gone that direction, but um, yeah, so I think it just begins with somebody that you commit to. And I know for me and my two accountability partners, we made a decision. This is really hard and really rare, but we just said we're lifers for the yeah. rest of our days. We're going to be tracking the life together. And yeah. so we live in different parts of the world and uh, we're, you know, hopping on Zooms like this uh, very regularly and texting and calling and all that. Uh, but we make a commitment at least once a year that we're together in person. Um, so yeah, it's hard work, but man, oh man, it's, there's, it's, it's hard to put a, hard to put a price tag on the value of it. Yeah. Sean, while you've been talking, I, I actually, I've, I've done what Jeff Henderson has done and put together a board, a life board of mentors and people that um, have just tracked with us through life. And it's been, unbelievably helpful. I have literally made a note though, to tell Kristen after this recording, anytime you feel the need, I want to be the man that God wants me to be. And so you feel free to reach out for help if I'm not in a place that needs, that's able to, to get help or yeah. to reach out for help. Because I think that's just so powerful to give Bonnie or Kristen, my wife permission to just be able to reach out to that group of people and say, Hey, you know what? Things are not where I know Jason wants them to be and, and yeah. we need to come around him and give him some help. So, man, this is good stuff, Sean. So powerful. I, I so love it. Um, so yeah. you, you're in this elder meeting and your yep. mentor suggests to the elders, hey, we need to give, I think it's, it's important for us to give Sean the gift of some time. What was the process then? that led you to the sabbatical and how did you kind of plan for it? All those, all those details. Yeah. So one thing that was really interesting is I've been a part of the North point network now for 21 years, but at that time, um, what were we, uh, I, I don't know. I, I would think it's probably about 13 years or something like that. Cause I think it's coming up on about seven or eight years ago when that happened. Um, North point does not have a sabbatical policy. So right. no one around me that I knew had done this before. Now I knew what one of my friends works for young life and young life had something every number of years. And I'd heard of sabbatical, right. But I didn't have any um, real framework for that. So one thing that was funny was I went to my, you know, elders when we finally sat on this, I was like, okay, how long do I do it? When do we do it? And they go, I don't know. 
what do you think? You know, we were just like blind leading the blind. I mean, literally, I'm hopping on the internet. What is a sabbatical? How long is a sabbatical? What do you do on a sabbatical? I mean, I'm literally, you know, flying with no controls in the dark trying to figure this out. And then you find, you know, some things online, different organizations and the way they do it. But it was definitely a stumbling process. But I will say, looking back, man, the Lord was so gracious in how he allowed things to materialize. I'm so grateful for that. So, yeah, for us, um, we ended up settling on about a 10-week window of time. By the way, as I'm now having this conversation with you, I'm now, I think, seven years on yes. the other side of actually taking that sabbatical. And one, two, three, I think four other of my staff members have now taken sabbaticals yep. here at Athens Church. One of them is about to go this next year. So it has become something that is, we, we don't have like a policy for it necessarily, yeah. but it is something we want built into the life and rhythm of our church. And so, um, so all that to say, we're moving to a place now where we are trying to develop some guardrails around this because there weren't any early on. Yeah. But I, one thing I did know that I needed to be a part of it was I needed something. I'm, I'm just going to use the words um, uh, healing, uh, deep, rich, something that was going to reach inside me and say, Sean, you don't want to be an angry, controlling, harsh person, but you are. Yeah. And so how, how do we take some, some steps in that? How do we make some progress? And so, um, you know, one of my, uh, one of my mentors and that he was recommending some like 90 day, like treatment program. Okay. And so, which scared the heck out of me. I didn't know even what that was or, you know, where do you go for anger treatment? You know, that sounds like days. the, that sounds like the plot from a really bad movie that I have no interest yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly how, how it felt for me as well. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, that's not the direction it ended up going, but I was just doing all kind of research and actually in my research process yeah. is when I ran across restoring the soul and Michael Cusick in Denver, Colorado, who was, who I went and ended up spending a two week intensive three hours a day, um, for two weeks. And, uh, God really, really met me in that time. That was definitely not the only factor. Uh, that was a major factor in the process. There were a number of things that were really significant. So we can dive into as many of those details as you want. Yeah. Well, we are going to pause the conversation there and I want to invite you to come back for part two of the conversation with Sean. He's going to dive into the practical things that he did on his sabbatical that was so transformative for him. But I got to tell you, every time I have a conversation with Sean, I admire him even more and I always learn something new from him. Today, I just was so grateful for his transparency, his honesty and his willingness to be so open and share his struggles because I know for me when I hear that it allows me to reflect on my own struggles and to be honest about those and to not feel as though I'm alone in the things that I struggle with. So much of his story resonates with my story and I'm sure it does with yours as well. Before I go today, I just want to make sure, especially for those that are brand new to the podcast, that you don't miss any conversations like this one. So if you haven't already done so, I want to invite you to go to my website, jasonperkoperkins.com and sign up for the weekly emails that we send out. We promise we will not inundate you with emails every day uh, that just fill up your inbox with information that's not helpful for you. We want to be really helpful and not just notify you about podcasts that are coming out, 
but also provide you with resources that are helpful for caring for your soul and the souls of those around you as you are working towards your goals. And I want to make sure that you don't miss any of those emails that we send out. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you're finding these conversations helpful in feeding your soul or helping you reach the goals that you're trying to reach, we'd love to hear from you. And the best way to do that is via social media. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, My handle on Instagram and Facebook is at Jason Perko Perkins. um, And we'd love for you to just connect with us in that way. If you'd rather just send us a good old-fashioned email, we'd love that as well. My email address is hello at jasonperkoperkins.com. Also, what would be really helpful is if you're finding these podcasts helpful for caring for your soul and reaching your goals, it would be really great if you would share that with other people. And you can do that by leaving us a rating and review on your preferred podcast platform, whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on. And you can just share it with friends and people on social media. It would be so helpful if you did that because we would love to get the word out about it. We'd love for as many people as possible to be working on their goals while caring for their souls. Our dream is to see a generation of leaders reach their goals and at the same time hear them say, it is well with my soul. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to part one of this conversation with Sean C. I look forward to connecting with you online this week because let's be honest, that's where we all hang out. So I can't wait to connect with you there. And I can't wait to share part two of this conversation next time with you. Until then, cheers. You've been listening to Perko's podcast. Join us next time for more insights on strategy, leadership, and soul care to help you reach your personal, professional, and spiritual goals while at the same time not losing your soul. In the meantime, make sure to connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.